Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Welcome podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. If you live in the Kansas City area, you've probably seen the work of Jose Faust. Jose has has been a contributor to many murals all around the city. Uh, He's also a poet and an actor, and he writes uh, for theater as well. So you could have seen his work in in a variety of media. Jose has been a prominent fixture in the Kansas City art scene since the uh, early days of the crossroads as it began becoming an arts-focused area. Yeah, a colleague of mine at the Kansas City Art Institute made an introduction for us, and we got to talk with Jose about all the different aspects of making a living as an artist. Absolutely. It'll be especially interesting to find out his inspiration for his art and and how he goes about pricing his art. So here's part two of our interview with Jose Faust. Changing gears a little bit here, I'm going to ask you a question about some challenges young arts entrepreneurs face. So you've been through many economic cycles over the years. And of course, at the time of this recording, we're still going through uh, the, the pandemic. But that notwithstanding, what are some challenges young arts entrepreneurs will face and how do you think they should deal with them? Well, I think one thing is I think um, a lot of, and I think this happens in any field really, but we have this idea that, okay, I've decided what I want to do. Now I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make it. And um, it's not that easy, you know. For some it is. Some have the connections, some have the talent, or sometimes they're just, it's just one of those things that happens. But it's not that easy. And I think we sometimes tell people, you know, I, I, there's one expression that I hear all the time where people say, you know, if, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I say, that's bullshit. If you do what you love, you're going to work more than you've ever worked in your life. Because <laughs> it's just, it's just, I mean, it's what you want to do. And it's like, it's, there's a part of you that's telling you, no, I really need to go make money. I can't recall how many friends when I was younger, when I would do art in high school, and they had a sense that I might be an artist. They would always tell me, oh, my God, but you got to get a real job. you know." And I wasn't even looking for a job. It wasn't even that. But some people were already concerned about that. And I think that's one challenge. There's always this idea that society says, you want to be an artist? Great. Do that on your own time, but get real. And I think that's the worst advice you can give a kid. I think would rather I would say... Follow your your bliss, I think is what Joseph Campbell said, right? But don't expect that just by following your bliss, you will achieve. It's going to be a long journey, you know, and there'll be the ups and downs. But if you really are following your bliss, the disappointments are really, they're, they're just things you step over eventually. So I think is have that idea, believe in yourself. Uh, don't let others' expectations of you set the bar for you because sometimes they can settle for a lot less than you can, right? Also, you had a solo show. Great. Now you're an artist. No, now you have to find another one. Now you have to do another one. Now you have to, what do you do with all the stuff you start to accumulate, you know? Always the idea that be real, um, but at the same time, if you don't find joy in what you're doing, maybe that's not the thing you should be pursuing. 
because if it can't give you that gratification, then you can be easily derailed by people's negativity, people's lower expectations. So I think it's believe in yourself, enjoy what it is that you think you want to do, and that will be the hallmark. Um, and don't always measure it by the economic return, right? Um, we can look at the money in the bank. We can look at the toys that sit outside the house, the house we live in. But if the work itself doesn't satisfy you and you realize, hey, it's making me a living, then why not just go pick up garbage? <laughs> you know, why not go uh, work in a law firm like I did for many years? <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if it's just about security and comfort, uh, but if it's really about art or anything, really, any kind of entrepreneurial thing you do, uh, be prepared and make sure that you really love it, right? Uh, and that you believe in it. What role do artists play in community building? Um, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, uh, early early days of the crossroads when you had when you were down there, you had studio space and that sort of thing. Uh, and I think the crossroads are a great example of how artists can transform a community. Um, what do you? Th what's the story behind that? What do you think the role of artists? Why does that happen that way? Well, I, I, it's one of the things that really bothers me the most. I think in some ways, uh, artists have become agents of change for others. Uh, we're like the scouts, you know, throws like the canaries into the mine. Hey, if they're still live breathing, <laughs> we can go in there, right? Uh, this idea, and I remember the crossroads. Uh, I remember we used to have this term about it, it was kind of like a drive-through place, right? Because most of the businesses right. would close around four, four thirty, and then it was empty, and it was just mostly artists in some of these warehouses and stuff. And I can remember when I first moved down there, and it wasn't anything, I'm telling you, it was like 1993. Um, man, my car got broken into so many times that I finally just said, you know what, I'm going to roll down the windows. They had already taken the radio. I'm not going to replace the radio. And it was an old beat-up BMW. And so I just left it open. I said, screw it, go for it. But then all of a sudden, we started opening these little galleries. And then the people, <laughs> the urban pioneers, which, you know, you can tell I have a, a little bit of disdain for uh, they discovered the crossroads. And the next thing you know, oh, they're moving into these little places. And then all of a sudden, the galleries are popping up. And we're all having a great time. But eventually, the rents start going up. And all of a sudden, we can't afford to be there. And so we have to go look for other places. And then we go find other places, and the same thing happens. So I think we have to be very aware of the kind of impact we have. Artists do have a great role to play in community building. But I think we have to also be aware that if we're going to have a role in community building, it should be dictated by the kind of communities we are comfortable living in. And most of the communities now, if you go to the crossroads, it's too expensive. Um, it's too, it's, it's come, it's become this kind of, I don't even want to use the word hipster because I think hipster would imply some self-awareness, which I don't think <laughs> sticks. Is there? It's just, uh, it, it, there's something that is just not that community vibe, right? There's a lot of people living, look at right now, it's like we're building this incredible amount of high density apartment places with people that basically have no interactions with each other. There's no neighbor neighborhoods in the Midtown area are starting to disappear, they're becoming boxes. So what happens? Community starts to disappear and all of a sudden we devolve to a different kind of community. That's not a comfortable community for me, but I'm also very aware of how that happens and how artists are part of that trajectory. So yes, we can build community, we're essential in building community, but I think we can also start to be a little bit more progressive of what that means. 
you know, accept our role. You know, we always bitch. Oh my God, artists come in and we do it and then boom, we're out. Well, then let's figure out how we can do that and right. not be the ones that get kicked out, right? Um, there's there's ways we can do that. Uh, like God, I don't want to start labeling them all, but yeah, I think we just have to change the the dynamic. Do you see other places in Kansas City where there might be the opportunity to do that? Ah, uh, not really. <laughs> um, you know, I have my studios in downtown Kansas City, Kansas, and um, mm-hmm. it's right across the river. It has this kind of uh, sense of it has to be developed. And as I'm looking at it, the studio that I've had my studio in, the building I've had my studio in for the last almost nine years, it just got sold. So right now I'm in this kind of limbo. I don't know yeah. what's going to happen. They're trying to figure out. Um, and they had a meeting. They haven't informed us yet. Um, but I'm sitting there thinking, I look around and I say, well, there's a lot of empty stock there. And you want to have a downtown that's vibrant. At one point, you wanted artists to come in and give you that. And I think for a while, there was, right. I think four or five years ago, they had like art walks. And they wanted to do the third Fridays. But you couldn't sustain that because it wasn't organic, right? It was kind of right. like, let's yeah. come in and do it. Um, and there's a lot of artists in the area. But I think the impetus now is more of a, you know, kind of like this tax-based development. And you can see it. It's it's starting to happen. I would say the West Bottoms at one time had that great thing. And I think you can find the buildings down there. You can go and find still spaces. But I think that's becoming even more and more difficult because there's a sense of what people want. And the developers, for the most part, are not looking that same way, right? They want a bigger return. And you have a lot of people that are coming from out of town to invest money. So those are not organic things at all. So um, Troost is, is another area that people have looked at. I think it has the same kind of conditions happening there. I think we're, we're going to end up with a kind of a community that requires a lot of sacrifice. I mean, but, yeah, I have my right. studio here. God, it's not the vibe I liked. It's changed, but eh, where else can I go? Right? Sadly, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. There's, you know, there's always acknowledgement that, oh, yeah, the artists help build this community. And, you know, we talk about the Crossroads as the arts district and that sort of thing. So there's, rec- you know, there's identification and people understand that that's how that community was sort of built. But to your point, eventually um, they get priced out or the vibe goes away or whatever. That came up the other day. We were on a, on a call about jazz in Kansas City, 18th and Vine. And and the regrowth there and that direct point that artists tend to go in first, they are part of a quote unquote uh, gentrification or revitalization of an area. And then they get pushed out by rising rents, rising property values. Other people come in and then they're on the move again. The jazz district is an interesting one, isn't it? Because it does have the history of being a jazz district, a cultural phenomenon, but one that Kansas City has a hard time embracing. You yeah, know, so it's exactly. hard to get, you know, it's, we can't get an audience for jazz. But my God, I, I can remember a friend of mine called me up a few years back and said, hey, there's some people that are, you know, she does couch surfing, right? And uh, she had been in Spain. And so a couple of people reached out to her and says, hey, we're going to be in the States. Do you mind if we couch surf to your place? And she called, he said, yeah, yeah. Well, they came and they wanted to know about Kansas City. And so she called me up and says, they want to go somewhere. I don't know where to take them. So I, it was a first Friday. We went to a first Friday. They loved it. The, the, they, they were shocked. So many people were out in the Kansas City, which I told them if they'd been here five years earlier, they would see nobody. <laughs> but, but uh, and so they just had that. And then they, they wanted to hear jazz. And I remember I took them down to uh, oh, uh, oh, 
what is that? Uh, not Jardines, uh, Majestic, right? Mm. And I think, um, mm-hmm. I don't remember who was playing. I think Stan Kedden was playing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they said, this is Kansas City Jazz. And I said, yeah. And they were like, I've heard it. I mean, they were like, in, to them, it was like this mecca. Right, and, right. Um, and their enthusiasm, just like, man, it just filled me with so much joy because I love jazz. And then I remember months later after they had finished their trip, they were doing Route 66, right? And after they got back to Barcelona, uh, she got an email and it said that of all the things they saw on their trip, there were two things that stood out to them. One was after they left here, they went to Dodge City and they saw a rodeo, which they loved. But the other one was that night that we went and ended up in the jazz club. And, um, you know, I, I can't remember her name. Oh, Angela Hagenbach actually had come in to eat that night. And she knew Stan, and Stan called her out and says, couldn't you come up and sing? And she did. And they were just marveled at that. that oh, my God. This, and they thought, well, who is this lady? But then she gets out and sings, has this majestic, beautiful voice. And, you know, I still to this day, I think about that and how... As a city, we've lost the connection to that strong cultural thing. Because somebody in Germany, somebody in France, somebody in Spain can sit there and go more about <laughs> that than yeah, you who right. live here, right? It, and that's sad. It, it certainly is. Well, the good news is I really think that they could have some traction in, in bringing that back to life. Yeah, I'm, ho- I'm always hopeful. <laughs> I'm always hopeful. Because, God, look at how many great musicians have come out of this town. Exactly. You know, yeah. and moved on. But, yeah. So the bones are still here. <laughs> well, we've come to the part of the interview where we ask you three questions. We ask these three questions of all of our interviewees. Um, so the first question is, what advice would you give to others wanting to become an arts entrepreneur? Don't be afraid of the business side. And that, that's a hard lesson for me to do because honestly, um, when it comes to money, is never the motivating factor. It's just right. the factor of living and succeeding at it, right? Uh, don't be afraid of that dirty work. Um, you have to consider it. Um, and it'll suit you in the long run uh, because you do need to know the market. And I mean, it sounds so cold in so many ways, but it's it'd be no different than if you were a gardener and you were selling flowers, right? You'd have to find a market. I mean, you'd have to, find and understand, you know, what are the things people want? And I'm not saying don't do your art because of the way things people want, but at least know what's out there. There's there's a niche, there's always a place where you can fit in uh, if you're comfortable there. So don't be afraid of that dirty part. I, I, I just, I just want to ask, referring to it as the dirty part could have a couple of different meanings. <laughs> well, I remember the first time, <laughs> I tell you, when we were asked, how much are you going to charge for this? And we're looking at each other and go, what? Uh, wow, okay, I thought you guys would come and tell us how much you're willing to pay me. But if you tell people how much are you willing to pay, they'll sit there and go, oh, shit, well, okay, 10 bucks? And you're going, oh, heck, that's just going to be for me to drive over here and breathe on it. Uh, so you all of a sudden you know, yeah, I got <laughs> I got to think. And you got to go find out people who know. Uh, and, you know, I work with artists, Arts, um, Artist Inc., which mm-hmm. is kind of a professional development thing where we work with artists and talk about that very important part of uh, the economic impact and how you have to look at it that way. Um, and it's, it's, I got to tell you, it was difficult at the beginning, but it's become also necessary to know because if you're going to survive as an artist, you've got to figure out how to weigh, how to make it happen. And that's the, the dirty part. I think a lot of artists were not taught in art school how to do this. 
We're not taught how to make this a business. We're just saying, do your art, it'll be fine. Go on, get out of here, get your degree. Uh, yeah. That's a great answer. And that's kind of the, one of the points of the podcast is to create awareness yeah. and, and to make it feel less dirty, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Build, build networks, build relationships. I think relationship buildings are the most important things. And a lot of artists struggle with that because they think I'm using somebody. And I always say, you know, I felt that way the first time that I went through this experience, but I said, no, what you are doing is you are becoming part of a community. And so let's say, for example, I have a network. Somebody comes to me with a project. There's no way I can do it. There's no way I want to do it. Or it's not even my style. But I know something. I mean, I could do it if I wanted to. But I know somebody that does exactly that same thing. That's what they're known for. I'll call them up and say, you interested, man? There's this opportunity. They go. Two years later, somebody calls me up and says, hey, this dude gave me your name. Are you interested in this? Yeah. It's that reciprocity that we build into right. the relationships. So I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think we can do to ensure that the arts are more accessible and reaching the widest possible audience? Take it. Don't take it for granted. I mean, my God, it's like there's a sense in this city, and I think it, it applies in all cities. And I, I really I cringe at it sometimes. We have a, a great percent for art, you know, 1% for art thing. So you have the the airport now has this, it's a $10 million or whatever, ten. $1 billion renovation, but they've only managed out of the 1% to get $5 million. And I'm going, okay, what happened to the other half a percent of that percent, right? Oh, it's because, you know, they're not building it this way. This is outside. They have these little damn things. No, 10%, 10%. Honor that. And secondly, don't look at it only as decorative. You know, allow artists to be at the beginning. I think one of the hardest things is to see now the thing has been built. Now let's bring artists to put, fill in the stuff, right? right? So... Rather than dealing with the deficiencies that could have been at, avoided at the beginning, now we want you to come in and say, look at this huge empty thing and put it up there. Now, I may be totally compromising any sense I might have or ability to get it into one of those things. But I think that really is key. I think artists have to be at the beginning of this um, and not feel like, oh, okay, I need a little element up there on that corner to make it really stand out. No, that shouldn't be our job. We, we, we should be, we should aspire for more than that. Uh, look at Gaudi, you know? I mean, can you imagine Barcelona with, without Gaudi? Right. Gaudi is Barcelona. Barcelona is Gaudi. And in some ways, it's that cultural element that transcends centuries and builds history, cultural history. And I think that's what sometimes we just think of arts as decorative, right? What's the best artistic or entrepreneurial advice you've ever been given? I, I, I'm going to give credit to Bo Bledsoe, uh, a mus musician here in town I work with. I heard him say it, and it's two things. One is be a good egg, and the other one is show up. And I've always remembered that. I remember somebody asked me to do something, and I said, yeah, I can do that. And I sat there and I said, God, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and I fought for about a week whether I was going to show up after I made the, the appointment. And I remember thinking, well, hell, if I don't do this, what am I afraid? I showed up and I made a promise that, yeah, I would do this, even though I had no clue how to do it. And then because I remembered in college, a professor took us to meet this guy. I can't remember his name, McCoy. He's an artist contemporary of, uh, of Benton's here in Kansas City. And he told us a great story. He said when he was 21 years old, he'd come out of art school. He had no, he had no had jobs or anything lined up and he had a family, he had a kid. 
and he had to struggle. And somebody called him up and said, hey, I want you to come over and look at my house. Gets over there and there's these huge columns in front of the house. And the guy says, can you make them look like marble? And he goes, oh, yes, yeah, no sweat. How much? He figured out something. Then the guy goes home and says, crap, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> you know? so, so to me, that's part of showing up. Yeah, I mean, this is what you want to do. Well, you're an artist, you're creative. You got time to learn it and you're going to screw it up or not. Who knows? I, I, but he did well. He managed to have a long artistic career. So, yeah, show up. And then the other part is be the good egg. Don't be the guy that shows up and pisses everybody off where everybody has a bad experience. Or don't be the guy that promises everything and never follows through. I think those are really important things. Yeah. Jose, this has been an enlightening interview. Thank you so much for your time. You can tell I love to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, well, thank you so much for sharing all the stories that you did as well. All right. Thank you so much thank- for the invitation. Thanks for coming on. All right. You guys have a good day. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast. Mm-hmm.